0: Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. As we come close to Christmas, on this fourth Sunday of Advent, we hear the first reading about King David. Now it might be a surprising story, especially now, but I think it fits well with the gospel. In fact, it's a juxtaposition with the gospel. We hear King David, who spent his whole life fighting. He was a warrior king. Now, after all that, he has finally given rest from his enemies on all sides. Finally, David is at peace. And so he calls the prophet Nathan and he says, I've decided I want to build a house for the Lord. Listen now how the first reading begins. When King David was settled in his palace, And the Lord had given him rest from his enemies on every side. He said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am in a house of cedar, while the ark of God dwells in a tent. Nathan answered him, Go do whatever you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. Essentially what David is saying here is, I, David, want to build a great temple for the Lord. Now at first it sounds pretty good. Nathan the prophet initially agrees with him. But then there's something surprising. God doesn't want David to build this temple. It's easy to see when we are in sin, when we're running counter to God's will. But here's something more subtle. There are moments in life when we think we are really giving glory to God. But in reality, we are not doing God's will. It's a very subtle test of our ability to acquiesce to what God wants. And so it begs the question: how could God refuse David? It sounds pretty good at first. David wants to build this grand temple. The Ark of the Covenant has been in a tent out in a field. David wants to build a temple in which all the people can come. Now, what does God have against this? You know, maybe he's punishing David for his sin. Maybe it's not in God's design. Maybe he wants Solomon, David's son, to build the temple. Maybe he thinks David's ego would get too wrapped up in the project. It would be called King David's Temple for all the centuries, and the people would acknowledge David as the one who built that temple, that great temple. But God doesn't want this temple built by David. There's a phrase in theology, the ego drama versus the theodrama. Now, the ego drama is the one that is written, directed, and starring me, and only me. It's all about me, my plans, my desires, my will. Even though they may appear to be very holy things, it's still the ego drama. It's about my life. Then, there's the theodrama, God's drama, God's writing, directing, and producing this drama. The point of life is to abandon the ego drama, to find your role in the theodrama. There's a prayer from St. Thomas Merton. It says, Lord, even though I think I'm following your will, it doesn't mean I'm actually doing so. Well, that's a great statement of humility and intuition. Go back to the first reading with David. Here he thought he was doing God's will. It doesn't mean he's actually doing so. See, that's a good check on our ego. Look at the Ignatian exercises. One of the exercises is to imagine a battlefield. The army of Satan on one side and the army of Jesus Christ on the other side. Ignatius would say, if you join Satan's army, he will make you a general. He will put you in charge of the whole operation. He will fill you with glory. Of course he will. See, that's how the ego drama works. Now, your role in Jesus' army might be digging latrines or trenches. The point is, that's the army that you should join, acquiescing to God's will. It's the whole story of the Bible. Now next, the church asks us to read this gospel in correlation to the first reading about David. And now we begin to see why. It's the wonderful and familiar story of the Annunciation. Now, one of the most depicted scenes in Christian art is the angel Gabriel announcing the news to Mary. Now, for us, angels strike us as romantic figures, harmless figures. That's not true in the Bible. Judging from the typical reaction of people when they've seen angels in the Bible, they are frightening. Notice how Mary reacts. It says she was deeply troubled by the appearance of the angel. Well, no kidding. When you think about it, an angel is a supernatural being from another existence that comes breaking into our lives. Who of us wants to be interrupted? Who of us wants our routines suspended? You know, we don't like it when something enters into our life and breaks up our routine. Now, imagine a reality from another dimension breaking into your world, coming upon you, announcing something to you that you didn't expect. Well, that's overwhelming. You are turned upside down. This is why Mary is deeply troubled at the angel, his appearance, as well as his message. And then those terrifying words, the angel says, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of David, his father, and he will rule over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now notice the obvious reaction of Mary. First of Joseph, then the wider community. Before she gets married, she gets pregnant. How would that be perceived? Talk about how someone's life is interrupted and turned upside down. Can you imagine the embarrassment Mary must have anticipated? More to it, we take these words for granted because we have heard them so often. Put yourself in her shoes. You hear from an angel from another dimension that the Spirit of God is going to overwhelm you and the child you will give birth to will be called the Son of God. Can that be anything to you but strange and puzzling? Well, of course, she says. How is this possible, for I have no relations with a man? Do you like when impossible things suddenly happen to you? Do you like it when your routine is interrupted in such an overwhelming way? Well, imagine Mary and her reaction to be overshadowed by a power beyond her control. More to it, did Mary have any idea what this would entail concretely? That when she says yes to the angel, it would mean the birth of Jesus in the stable in Bethlehem. It would mean the massacre of innocents from King Herod. Did she realize it would mean the flight into Egypt, fleeing for her life from protecting her child? Did she realize it would mean participating in the sufferings of her son, even to the point of witnessing his torture and crucifixion? Could she have sensed any of this? Hardly. And yet, at that decisive moment in world history, she says, yes, I am the handmaiden of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. Now go back to that first reading, Here's the juxtaposition with David. Even though he was trying to honor God by building a temple, he was leading with his plans. And that's important to know. He's basically saying to God, here's my plan. I want to build a temple. What does Mary say? Just the opposite. I am the handmaiden of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. See, there is the great reversal that constitutes the heart of the spiritual life. David, even when he was trying to honor God, is still running with his own show, his own plan. It wasn't God's plan, it was his plan. Mary, she lets the Holy Spirit invade her and finding her role in the theodrama. See, that's why the early church fathers refer to Mary as the new Eve. What was Eve's problem with Adam Well, it set the whole tone for the whole biblical narrative. Eve's and Adam's problem is that they tried to grasp at the forbidden fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, saying to themselves, I myself will determine what is good and evil. I will grasp at godliness for myself. They saw God as a rival, and in doing so, they wanted to be gods themselves. Now, look at Mary. In Mary's sense, by making that great statement, I am the handmaiden of the Lord, let it be done to me according to your word, she reverses that momentum that was started with the fall of Adam and Eve, the fall of grace. She begins to stop and reverse that momentum of sin, the ego drama. And now she participates in the theodrama as the handmaiden of the Lord. See, this is why Mary is such a great Advent figure for us all. And not just during Advent, every day of our life, she helps us to find our place so that we can participate always in the theodrama. And may the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.